What up, Rocky Rockstars? We've had a snowy fall so far here at Rocky Mountain National Park, especially in the high country, so we've got a few road updates for you. Old Fall River Road is now closed to motorized vehicles until next July. Hard to believe, I know, but we're in the mountains. Uh, It does remain open to walkers, including those with leashed pets, and bicyclists through November 30th. On December 1st, it goes to winter trail status, and then no more pets and bicycles. Trail Ridge Road is not yet closed for the season, but has been closing often due to winter storms. There are currently four-foot drifts. Four-foot drifts across the road up there. Uh, It's kind of crazy what a few thousand feet of elevation will do, but there you go. Like Old Fall River Road, Trail Ridge is open to walkers, including those with pets and bicyclists, if you dare. I'm not going to promise that it'll be a a smooth ride or a safe ride, but it is open to you through November 30th. And if you're traveling to the park and you're curious about roads and what's open and what's closed, the best way to check that out is to go to our website. That's nps.gov forward slash R-O-M-O. Uh, follow us on tri- on Twitter, we're at Rocky NPS, and call the Trail Ridge Road Recorded Status Line. That's at 970-586-1222, and uh, we record messages on there to keep you up to date on uh, Trail Ridge Road status. For today's episode, we are joining S.D. Rivera-Murdoch, Executive Director at the Rocky Mountain Conservancy, otherwise known as RMC, you'll hear us call it that, and Rich Fedorchek, Chief of Interpretation and Education at Rocky Mountain National Park, to talk about the absolutely essential, and I do mean that, essential partnership that their two organizations have had for over eight decades. Amazingly enough, I think you're going to be surprised at just how much the Rocky Mountain Conservancy does here at Rocky. It is more than you probably think, and I hope that you will be inspired to learn more about RMC and perhaps become a member or a donor. So, let's rock! All right, so we're going to start the way that we have always started, at least for the seven that we've done. Oh, wow, there's a mule deer right behind us. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, two. It's nature. Hey, buds. It's nature. nature. So we'll start the way we normally start by asking you your names and your title, like what you do at the park or in, asso- in association with the park. Yeah, I'll start. Okay. Rich Fedorchik, I'm the Chief of Interpretation and Education in the park. Okay. Hello, I'm Esty Rivera-Murdoch, and I'm the Executive Director at the Rocky Mountain Conservancy. All right, so we've had an earlier episode where we talked a little bit about education. That was episode one with Kathy, Mm -hmm. so people are somewhat familiar with with that role, so maybe we'll fill it out second, but... Mm -hmm. We're here today mostly to talk about partnerships. So, um, executive director at the Rocky Mountain Conservancy. Let's talk about Rocky Mountain Conservancy first, and then we'll talk about what an executive director does. So, Rocky Mountain Conservancy, what the heck is it? I know it's a lot of things. Who are we and what do we do? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. We have plenty of time to get into it. So, we have a lot of facets of our organization 
Uh, we are what's called the Cooperating Association for the Park, which mm-hmm. many people often know as the bookstore, or in our case, we call them the nature stores. Mm-hmm. So we run the nature stores mm-hmm. and all of the visitor centers at the park, and then a number of other uh, public lands throughout Colorado and a little bit in the state of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have a field institute, so we run mm-hmm. education programs through the park that have a park-approved educational curriculum for mm-hmm. kids' youth education and also adult education Everything from uh, introduction to fly fishing and aquatic ecosystems to uh, hummingbird banding research and historical tours and you name it. And then we're also what in other places is often called the Friends Organization to the Park. So we're the fundraising partner for the park for specific Mm -hmm. projects, Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes land acquisition, Things like Junior Ranger publications, and we work with the park every year to establish a list of what the park's needs are mm-hmm. and what we can contribute and what we can fundraise for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it will surprise a lot of our listeners, just the whole cooperating agreement and partnerships and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about all those things in, in detail as we go along, but um, how about Rich? We can okay. have Rich tell us what is... What does the chief of interpretation and education do? do Or maybe even tying in, because we haven't talked about education yet on the podcast. We talked about the interpretation side of things with Kathy. Right. So So the way I look at our our division is both interpretation and education. mm -hmm. And for a lot of folks, they wonder what the difference between those are. And, um, you know, I think interpretation is... Is education, it's an educational activity, mm-hmm. but maybe it's a little different with the outcome. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of times with uh, education, we're thinking of uh, a little more formality with that. And there's a learning outcomes, whereas interpretation, mm-hmm. it might be to um, change hearts and minds mm-hmm. more than anything else, mm-hmm. something like mm-hmm. that. Um, the, the education program at Rocky is pretty unique in that. Um, it is separated. We actually go down into the front range of Colorado and do some edu- formal education, formal education with, uh, with schools. Mm-hmm. So we're in the schools doing interactive mm-hmm. programs with them. And then a component of that, thanks to the conservancy, is to bring them up mm-hmm. into the park. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have an experiential experience. You know, yeah. They actually come up. And do a hands-on thing, so it's not just a classroom-based, but it's actually a little more experiential. Yeah, so it's a little different. I mean, we'll talk RMC interfaces with lots of RMC Rocky Mountain Conservancy. We're going to be using some acronyms. We like acronyms. Glad you cleared that up. Yes, people, Uh, our listeners are very familiar with NPS by now. So, RMC interfaces with lots of different divisions or groups of, of working groups in the park. But interfaces a lot with interpretation and education. Yeah, it really does. Why? What's that so, strong you know, connection there? Early on in uh, the whole partnerships, the whole philanthropy part of it for mm-hmm. the Park Service, it actually started off as cooperating associations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yosemite was the first one. They had a, It was just a group of citizens and park employees at the time, um, like 1923 or so, mm-hmm. that actually set up a group that printed out brochures about Yosemite, mm-hmm. about the flora and the fauna. Uh-huh. And they charged very little, but any proceeds would go back to the education program, mm. as they called it. Mm-hmm. So that's its beginnings. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, the cooperating associations, the cooperating associations have been around since 23, 24 in the Park Service. Um, the Rocky Mountain Conservancy started in 1931. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the older, old, oldest ones. We and it have. was Rocky Mountain so, Nature Association, Association at that time, yeah. right? A lot so, of them were called Nature Associations. Yeah. So if, on if, that if one. some of our listener, listeners have been involved with Rocky for a while and you've heard RMNA before, now it's RMC, but Very same good. continuation yeah. of the same organization. It really so 1931, is. that's early. So, yeah, 86 years. This yeah. has been going on. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> so, so it started that way. And then in the 80s, yeah. what, there was more of the friends groups that were actually doing. Um, fundraising on behalf of the parks mm-hmm. for projects mm-hmm. on it. But it's always, the, to me, the core has always been kind of focusing on the education, interpretation, and research. Mm-hmm. So that's like the bookstores. That's where those proceeds go to. It goes into those three programs yeah. that are going on. Yeah. So. Yeah. What do you think? Because <laughs> before, so we often get into people's work history and stuff, which we could do. Um, but before you worked at Rocky, you had spent some time in interpretation, community outreach, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, I had worked for the federal government working on partnerships from the federal side. So uh-huh. now it's fun uh, to it's be on the other side of the table yeah, working yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as a federal nonprofit with the park. Yeah. So that, um, I guess, Rich, are you the... Is Rich the main person that you... Rich is our primary for? liaison. So we do yeah. work with every department in in Rocky Mountain National Park, everything mm-hmm. from restoration mm-hmm. and um, cultural, natural resources, you name it. But mm-hmm. Rich is our, our usual por- point of entry mm-hmm. for any of the park programs. And mm-hmm. that's more of just a, not that we're limited to interpret ed, sure. but more just just have a communication, sanity. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Idea. That makes sense. Yeah. So you were in partnerships from the, the federal side before. Where was that? Um, I've worked for the D.C. office in the Centennial office uh-huh. and then a little bit in the Intermountain Region office, which is here in Denver, for the parks, park, always for the Park Service, uh, and then at Saguaro National Park. Oh, nice. And also years ago for the Forest Service. Mm-hmm. So now we work with all of those partners as a nonprofit. Cool. So we'll do a big question, then we'll fill in the gaps as we go along. Why do we need cooperating associations or partners? Why can't the park just do all this stuff? You know, why uh, why is that even necessary? I'm, I'm guessing some people will be I'll, wondering. I'll take that. the first stab yeah, at that. Please do. So, so I don't know where I where I stole this quote from. So hopefully this is not a copyright <laughs> quote. Um, but I recently heard someone say that the federal government can only do what it's allowed by law. Mm-hmm. So you can't do anything unless there's a congressional authorization for it. The nonprofits can do anything that's not against the law. <laughs> Those are our, so this, and then here's where we meet in the middle at what are our mission overlaps. So there are a number of things that the Park Service can't do just because there's no legislation that enables them to do that. So they can't hmm. uh, do these sorts of sales in stores. They can't, in some cases, they don't have the, capacity to do some of the programs. So our educational tour buses are a great example of the park has no, doesn't have the staff to reach thousands of people a year and provide these custom in-depth naturalist experiences. Sure. But we do. And that's in line with our mission to help steward Mm -hmm. Rocky and other public lands. So Mm -hmm. that's where we step in. So that the important part is that we don't 
we don't do anything that the park is already doing. So mm-hmm. we sort of have a, a line drawn in the sand of we don't do anything that appropriations take care of. We do things that are above and beyond. So the Junior Ranger program and the badges and the booklets that come with that. Yeah. Um, we do some publications. That's a great example where the park can't produce a publication, a uh, children's sticker book that right. takes you on a guide of Trail Ridge Road as an sure. example where there's an interesting need for that. There's a demand, but the park just doesn't have the authority to do those sorts yeah. of things. So that's where we step yeah. in. Okay, that makes sense. Rich, do you want to add on there? Because I think this is surprising to a lot of people because, you know. Yeah, like, I think you're right. I mean, uh, obviously national parks aren't theme parks or mm-hmm. zoos, but mm-hmm. a lot of people's mm-hmm. other experiences that are maybe similar to mm-hmm. national parks in some ways are those types of organizations, and they can kind of do whatever they want to do. So, You know, I think... Um, as the park service was established, quickly, I think um, first director Mather and ended up second director Albright realized that the park service can't do this by itself. Mm. Um, as much as we had a culture of like, oh, we're the Lone Ranger, right. we're going to yeah. do it all, right? Yeah, we can do it all. But but that never occurred. And, yeah. you know, and Mather in what 1919 said, if that the service was going to survive as a preservation agency, mm-hmm. we have to create strategic alliances with others. Mm-hmm. So right away, he knew that we were going to do this through a partnership, through a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And I think people are really surprised that, you know, Mather was the one who actually was like, we need to do this yeah. with others. That is kind of surprising. Mather actually. <laughs> actually did strategic alliances with railroad companies and with timber companies oh, to yeah. form lodges. Uh-huh. I mean, lodges and the railroads, that was all, you know, oh, yeah. Mather and others' ideas to get support of the national parks. Uh-huh. So we're actually, people don't realize it, but we're actually a partnership agency. Mm-hmm. Um, we've kind of gone astray, you know, uh, uh, off to the side a little bit sometimes. But I actually think that um, we're realizing, we've always known this, but I think we realize it more than ever that this is, first of all, it's public land. Mm-hmm. So the public should be involved sure. in, in how they can support uh, the national parks, yeah. not the service necessarily, but the parks. But also it's, um, it is the, it's, the, it's the public that actually has to decide what the important things are on this. And through the partnership, mm-hmm. through a nonprofit partnership, they can actually have um, direct um, uh, impact on the national parks by being involved with a partner organization or donations or just being part of the events yeah. that are going on. Yeah. So I think that's really important yeah. um, that people realize that, you know, the whole partnership concept um, is something that is actually part of our, it should be, but it is part of our culture yeah. in the park service. Yeah. That makes sense too, just because I feel like as time has gone on, there's been more and more of a recognition that parks National parks specifically can't operate alone as an island. You know, there's some that are kind of big that try, but but you just can't do it. Right. Whether it's partnering with other land management agencies, partnering think, with other community agencies, and yeah. then nonprofits and things like that. I think that. Um, early in the days of the Park Service, there was sort of a culture that started where it was like, no, we're going to do this ourselves. Sure. Just Which sort of makes sense. You know, you send in soldiers to but Yellowstone then, right. on their own and they're doing everything on their own. But, I, but. but then I think, in, you know, we started realizing not only can't we do that, it's physically impossible mm-hmm. to do that, but we shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. 
you know, it should be something that the public is involved. Our mm-hmm. partners are involved. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where you get community involvement yeah. is through the partnerships that are going on. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So I point. think it's, you know, to me, it's uh, it's kind of flipping that around yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I almost feel like, I mean, I don't know. I guess you don't know, but it almost seems like if if, the, if these kinds of agencies or partners didn't exist, they would exist just because there's always people who love a park, you know, well, and I think, either, either they live close by or just they have some connection to the park and they want a way to be able to support American. it and get involved. You know, the whole oh, idea of point, associations yeah. that were created, uh-huh. um, you know, early in the, the country's history, mm-hmm. this idea that associations got started because the government couldn't or shouldn't yeah. or wouldn't right. do it. And so Ben Franklin with fire departments yeah. and libraries getting started. It wasn't the government. It was actually mm-hmm. the American citizenry mm-hmm. that did it. And the same with our our national parks and our cooperating associations and then friends groups. Mm-hmm. It was citizens that came up with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was more of a response where they wanted mm-hmm. to support the parks. Yeah. So they created organizations and associations to yeah. help us out. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really like Rich's comments on sort of broadening what, what partners mean. I think it's important also here at Rocky to realize that we talk about we're the partner of the park and we're sure. the primary partner, but we also have a lot of partners and Rocky has other partners. Even park volunteers are partners mm-hmm. that add value mm-hmm. above and beyond what the agency can do. In yeah. a lot of cases, we have local organizations, some of which have existed longer than the park or the town even in some cases. I'm thinking wow. of like the Estes Park Women's Club. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Or other entities like important. that, that we work closely with these local organizations yeah, yeah, the YMCA, we work with um, larger national organizations like yeah. the Trust for Public Land, and we work with local uh, county organizations. And so us being the partner, oftentimes we're sort of the, the gateway or the primary partner. Or people work through us with the park because we have these legal agreements and authorizations, but just clarifying right. that the table of park partners is much bigger than yeah. Rich and I representing sure. these two organizations here. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, the gateway communities, the whole the whole amalgam of groups that are out there. Yeah. So, so before I want to get into all these different different things that, that RMC does with the park, but before just I want to touch on because you just mentioned it and this this aspect of things is really interesting to me is like there is a legal relationship correct between arms so we have partners in a broader sense we have partnership agreements and then we have like this designated yeah thing. i'll what's, take the first stab on yeah that what's one. the there important is, distinction <clears throat> of that so there are partnerships and then there are formal partnerships oh, okay and what the distinction is usually if if it's a formal partnership there's a written agreement uh-huh. on that one mm-hmm. and so there is believe it or not there is two agreements primary agreements that we work on. One is a cooperating association agreement, Mm -hmm. which allows the Rocky Mountain Conservancy to actually sell books and other educational interpretive materials within a park. Mm -hmm. Because if you notice in a park, there's only two ways you can sell things. Either you're a bookstore or you're a concessioner. Uh There's only two ways you can do it. And Uh both of those are agreements. Right. Okay. Interesting. So they're allowed to do, um, through this agreement, they're allowed to sell the educational materials. Part of that agreement states that the proceeds of those sales will go back to Mm. um, interpretation, education, and research. Only those three. Hmm. 
So for the sales of the books, they can't go beyond interp ed and research. Interesting. So that's why Mm -hmm. friends groups were starting to kind of be created because there were other needs that the park needed, like trails, like the greenhouse, like all these different things that were not part of interpretation, they were not part of education, and they were not part of research. So how do we support? Organizations said, we want to support those as well. Sure. Some organizations, some parks actually have two separate things. They Mm -hmm. have a friends group and they have a cooperating association Mm -hmm. uh, book store. Um, This particular history of Rocky Mountain Conservancy, um, they were an association first, then they were an association and a friends group, and now they're both. They've kind of come together uh, on that. So, so. The other agreement that we have is called a friends group agreement Mm -hmm. um, that basically allows them to um, do um, fundraising Mm -hmm. um, on behalf of the National Park Service, on behalf of the federal government. And not anyone can do that. No one can go out and raise funds on behalf of us. Right. Um, So that's a very special agreement Uh, that allows them to actually do that. It's a special relationship. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it also (laughs) provides some... It provides a lot of transparency and comfort mm. also for our donors and members and mm-hmm. supporters. So when you think about donating to a particular cause, you want it very transparent exactly sure. where your funds went. And so our agreements with the Park Service make sure that anybody who donates anything has a good, clear understanding of exactly what those funds were mm-hmm. ultimately used for. And that's why oftentimes people think, oh, it would be great if just everyone raised money for the park and right. things start start to get messy. We yeah, see that's that a really good point. Disaster relief yep. or other sorts of nonprofit situations. Sure. You want a very clear right. uh, channel for people yeah. to be able to contribute to the park. Yeah. And we've got all of our documents up on GuideStar and those sorts of entities too, so that yeah. people can see people can do their exactly how much see. how we function and what our overhead costs are nice. and what programs we've supported in any given year, and that's all part of our agreement with the park. Also, yeah, cool, cool. So let's start talking about some of the stuff that RMC does. I'm trying to think in order that is probably most prominent for people. I mean, this may not be the most prominent. And I might be slightly tooting my own horn since I designed this stuff. But <laughs> a lot of our publications, like our park newspaper even, yeah. uh, is paid for through funds from RMC. So every time you come to the park and you get a newspaper and a lot of our other handouts too, Matt, um, the brochures themselves know, but like our hiking guides, site bulletins, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that harkens back to the original right. um, carping associations. Yeah. Those were the educational the, what we call site bulletins uh-huh. in the park service, those brochures, yep. the park map, the newspaper, um, a lot of the materials, not only interpretation uses, but like our wilderness office here at Rocky. Oh, right. They have a lot of stuff that is actually paid through. Um, so instead of the park service or federal government funds being used for some of that, mm-hmm. it's actually the conservancy that donates a fund so we can actually have that mm-hmm. done. So that's very yeah. um, kind of almost traditional in the way to do it. Right. But then there's a bunch of other things that they're um, donating to through the right. friends group side. Right. And I'll let yeah. Esty talk about those. So we have the publications. We got, we got that. So the next one I was wondering about, because people may not, well, they probably realize because it's up at the bookstore. 
bookstores. Let's talk about the bookstores. Let's call them nature stores. Nature stores. <laughs> because we've, we've gone beyond, and we often think of them as bookstores. Yeah. Because traditionally that was how we did education. Yeah. If you wanted someone to take something home with them that was educational, we traditionally thought of it as a book and mm-hmm. a publication. Mm-hmm. And it's 2017, and we know that people learn in a lot of different ways. For sure. So it might be a kid's coloring or an adult coloring book. Yeah. Actually, the fact <laughs> we're developing one right now, oh, an adult nice. coloring I love book. Those about Rocky Mountain National Park. That uh-huh. might be how they're learning and taking away from those things. It might be a stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. A little kid might have a stuffed pika toy. And sure. all of those things that we sell are accurate. So they get vetted through the park, through Rich's staff, through yeah. other specialists. That's what I really wanted people to know because so, <laughs> they may not know when they're in a nature store. That exactly. Every so, single item you're seeing is mm-hmm. is has been vetted that it has a connection yeah. And is educational, right? And sometimes yeah. it's almost comical. I mean, I just mentioned that the pica, we went through a, through a process of making sure that the pica's fur, if you buy a stuffed pica finger puppet, his fur is the correct color, hey. or his or her fur. Pica. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> the books, if you purchase a hiking book, it has trails that are accurate and up-to-date and uh-huh. safe. If uh-huh. you purchase a map, that's your up-to-date map. If there's a photograph of an animal that animal actually has anatomically correct features mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure. antlers are the right size or the male or big horns sheep <laughs> horns are pointing the right direction yeah. and those sorts of mm-hmm. things that oftentimes uh, someone who's not really familiar with this ecosystem might not see at a glance yeah. but it's been through an extensive vetting yeah. process on our side of things yeah i wanted people to know that because it is amazing especially interacting with like all staff here at the park, the detail that people will notice. They'll be like, oh, that fur's not quite right, or just just something that if you weren't such a trained person, you might not realize, but ends up paying off because if your child or you, an adult, whomever, has a male or female stuffed pica, uh, <laughs> then, you know, when they, like if it, were, if it were a children's toy, they have a connection to it and they're actually connecting to some real aspects of what's up with that, what's up with that animal. So I think that's a big one for people to know. Um, how does that process work? Is it like, a, is there a, a yearly big review cycle? Or is uh, it's, it item it's by kind item? Of an, it's an ongoing process okay. always. Yeah. So one of our challenges is if you've been to any bookstore in Rocky, into the visitor center, they are not large. No, they are not. <laughs> so we have very limited space. So yeah. sometimes we'll have... Perhaps, you know, 15 or 20 books that have been submitted to us about geology of the Rocky Mountains. Mm -hmm. And we might only be able to pick one or two or there's different ones at different Mm -hmm. stores. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that things that aren't in our bookstore aren't accurate and educational and factual and interesting and engaging. But if we have a few feet for any given topic, we try to hit... um, items that are of different price points for different visitors so that people can take home something if they'd like. That's whether it's a kid that's on a field trip who has $2 from their parents, they can get a cool sticker or Mm -hmm. junior ranger pencil, or they can take home a very high-end woolen blanket Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever the case may be. So we try to hit that spectrum of where visitors are at and educational topics. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Yeah, I I, think... I think that's really good. Uh, There is a vetting process that goes on. Many times what we're looking for is accuracy and 
things that hopefully um, promote safe use of the park. Uh-huh. So, like, we wouldn't have um, items that somehow would um, encourage folks to do unsafe things. We're uh-huh. not going to sell matches, you know, because you know, there's certain sure. things that we're just not going to sell. Sure. But on the other hand, there is sort of the business side of this as well, is that you only have so much space. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to, what are those items that you're going to sell? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to always kind of balance out how much literal shelf space we have yeah. versus something that's going on there. Yeah. And, and the one thing I love about the Conservancy staff is they're really willing to try new things. So if we have a book that's been selling reasonably well for the last five years, and then another book comes out that we think might actually not only sell better, but it might actually be more accurate, more mm-hmm. updated, whatever mm-hmm. it is, we'll change it out. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're, they're willing to actually move some mm-hmm. materials around. So we yeah. have um, kind of new stuff coming in almost all the time. In yeah. there. And we want products to be relevant to people and remind them of their time here in the park. So Mm -hmm. what we don't want is for people to come to the park and have it be out of sight and out of mind. Mm -hmm. We want them seeing Rocky Mountain National Park literally on their coffee mug in the morning when they've gone back to wherever they've come back from visiting. And they're reminded of that experience. And they, even if they never come back to Rocky, that they have this positive... Yeah affinity for public lands and their experience that they spent here in the park mm-hmm. and that they're reminded of mm-hmm. it, that it's not this one and done and I've checked it off yeah. my list, but that it's this long-term right. memory. And for folks who do come to the park and do visit a nature store and consider or do purchase something, how um, how crucial or important are those sales, are the nature store sales to the park in terms of the organization, the park, everything, you know, just so yeah. people can kind of get a sense yeah. of where that um, is Those going. sales are really big from, uh, from a lot of the divisions, but mostly interpretation, education, and resource stewardship, yeah. resource management. Yeah. Um, that's where the funds are going right. to. So again, that and traditional so, relationship. Yeah. I mean, about. we have what's uh, at the end of the year, we, the Conservancy looks at their um, revenue, but their expenses, and then the proceeds from those sales. And they go directly into our junior ranger program, our education programs that are down in the front uh, range, our interpretive programs, the volunteer program, which we have, yeah. is supported in part, and actually in large part, um, through the Conservancy. Oh, so there's okay. there's a bunch of stuff that they do. We have an international program, sister park program in uh-huh. the park. And uh, they actually support that as well through the aid um, that that they give to us. So there are, if I think of my lines, there's probably 18 line items that um, we request from the Conservancy through the proceeds and the programs that it's um, programs and materials that it provides us. Wow. Okay. And it's often things that the visitor will, oftentimes even park staff will never be aware of. So I'm thinking of a few of the invoices I've recently signed (laughs) was was the dry cleaning bill for the buffalo robe at the Holsworth Ranch. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we had that on the podcast a few (laughs) weeks ago. It's not the sort of thing you can just, you know, take down to your local dry cleaner. Yeah, who the heck dry cleans a buffalo hot robe? Historic preservation items like that. It might be um, a replica mountain lion skull that the education 
ranger is showing at a night program, those sorts of things. So yeah. it's not like there's a sign on those things mm-hmm. saying supported by your bookstore yeah. sales, but right. it's often <laughs> this very quiet behind the scenes day to day support. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I'm glad you brought that up because that was that's one of good. the big reasons why I wanted to talk to you guys was to get a little bit of that out in the open, even though we don't put labels on everything. We don't tattoo it onto replica skulls. This skull no. replicated by. <laughs> yeah, and actually that is really something that I, I mean, I've thought of it that way, but not forget, thought of it yeah. that way. But a lot of it is, you know, kind of the unsung stuff. It's the it's su- support materials, uh-huh. not only for our staff, but really for the visitors where it's coming out to. Right. And so, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, that from the, from the nature store mm-hmm. is coming from that. Mm-hmm. Um, from the friends group side, from the fundraising side. I mean, you name it, every division in this park is affected by um, the contributions from the conservancy. Yeah. I mean, there's not one division that doesn't get um, some donation mm-hmm. or some support mm-hmm. um, from that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that's part of it, too. It's, it's sort of unknown. Yeah. And part of my job, I think, is to get the staff to understand the connection yeah. between that. Um, but also get the public to understand yeah. that the trails that they're going on, the signs that they're seeing, um, even sometimes the, the materials for the trails, mm-hmm. the, the logs, the rocks, whatever it is, some of that stuff is being supported through the partnership on that, right. which is really amazing. Yeah. So Cool. I wanted people to know that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about seminars that happen through RMC, because that's another thing that I think uh, you know, four and a half million visitors, probably a lot of them don't know about, but I think is super cool. Yeah. So I, I know some of my staff has asked me not to call them seminars because okay. then people immediately picture a darkened lecture yeah, hall that's a great and a point. slide projector. That's a great point. <laughs> Sometimes we do it for 10 minutes just at the beginning. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so our educational experiences, nice. um, but traditionally often known as the Field Institute Seminars, because we try to go beyond that classroom component. So we try yeah. to get people out into the park. If we're talking about climate change, we're not going to show them a picture of a glacier. We're going to drive them out to the glacier and they're going to look at it. If we're talking about um, the elk rutting season, we're not going to show them some pictures. We're going to put them on one of our educational yeah. buses and take them and show them elk rutting mm-hmm. in the fall. It's yeah. timely right Makes now since extent. this is yeah. September. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those sorts of experiences, because we have the park as Mm -hmm. a classroom. If we're going to teach kids about aquatic ecology, they should go out and catch some water bugs and figure out what the fish are eating before they decide on the right fly fishing lure. So we really want it to be beyond those sterile classroom experiences. And they change constantly, our programs. They rotate. Just yeah, that's what I was wondering, the types of programs. Availability of instructors and public interest. Uh, yeah. We do a number of our programs. Uh, we have credit programs through CSU. Uh-huh. So we have a number of teachers here who come to do uh, their continuing uh, nice. education programs That's also. Cool. Because if they're that. a high school geology teacher, yeah. why not get them out looking at geology yeah. on the ground again instead sure. of putting them in a lecture hall for yeah. a day. So we do have a lot of students that are here getting credit for a day for college or continuing education. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people who 
in some cases are retired or just want something fun to get out for a weekend or they mm-hmm. want someone to point out things even if they've lived here for decades that they've never noticed. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a class on the wild orchids of Rocky and people Whoa, don't typically think great. about Rocky as being a an orchid no. habitat. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you would be shocked once you go and you spend a day with an instructor like yeah. Kevin Cook who's pointing out orchids are everywhere and you'll never walk in the park without seeing them everywhere yeah. again. I think that was actually one of the first things when I first came here. I was walking around Bear Lake with Kathy and she was like, oh, an orchid. I was like, yeah. oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and I would have probably never noticed it without someone like that pointing it out. So we had mentioned earlier about what we can do as the park service mm-hmm. and then through our partners, what we can do even more of. Right. And so we don't have, we will never have enough staff in the education interpretation to do all these different types of programs. Sure. So what we do is we look at what we can do, Mm -hmm. and then through our partner, they can actually expand the educational opportunities um, and the inspirational opportunities um, through their programs. They Mm -hmm. can do longer trips. They can actually include lunches in their trips. They can do all kinds of things that we just don't have the staff um, to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that's the synergy, that's the catalyst that I look at when I think of the conservancy is they're, 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 they're enhancing the things that we, the park service can do mm-hmm. in the park. Um, they're also hopefully enhancing the connections that they're going to make with visitors because we wouldn't be able to, sure. to reach some of those visitors sure. if it wasn't for the, um, for the um, field institute programs. That yeah. So they're, it's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I did. Uh, when I worked in Denali for one summer, I was with Alaska Geographic and taught. Well, I was like the guide, kind of the yeah. assistant and yeah. that we would bring in teachers. And yeah, I was. there were just incredible programs. Like yeah. the things that people get out of just those three days. is. Well, no, and you get to be with people who are experts. Right. It, you know. And not that um, all, but there are a lot of retired park service ranger uh, interpreter naturalist uh-huh. that are actually instructors uh-huh. um, for the, the oh, field institute cool. which is really nice to yeah. have that connection as well on right. that one but um, and it's not just about technical stuff I mean there's there's um, there's like values that are getting across about preservation mm-hmm. about um, about climate change about about some of the challenges that are coming on mm-hmm. um and about how you manage a, a national park mm-hmm. um with four and a half million visitors coming yeah, yeah. so the so the the programs are really um they're a lot more in depth than i think some people might realize they they think it's about a topic but it's much more than just the topic ah good point so Very it's really cool. good yeah so where can people go to learn more about the different things that are offered and if you go to our website, yes. <laughs> www.rmconservancy.org, uh-huh. as in Rocky Mountain Conservancy.org. Uh-huh. You can get the full uh, you listing. You can see the Field Institute catalog listing. And usually we have uh, our booklet comes out in January for the whole year. Nice. So I suggest keep your eyes open in yeah. January and schedule ahead in advance. Yeah. And then we also do custom, custom classes also. Oh. So oftentimes we have a group in there a family of 12 people or something, and uh-huh. it's not quite the right fit to just put, have them register for one of our regular classes. So we'll often do custom tours wow. or custom classes and experiences as affordably as we can wow. for those special groups. And we still meet all of the park's educational needs, but we tailor it to the abilities yeah. 
and interests of that particular group in their time here in the park. Wow. What a service. I want to do that. That sounds great. I want to do all the classes. And just like, <laughs> you know, the, um, I don't want to say the word vetting. It sounds so, so hard. Um, but there's review, there's discussion with the same with these institutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the director, Rachel Balduzzi, will usually send me the list of programs and descriptions, and then she'll give me a list of new ones that they mm-hmm. want to try out. And then we talk about it. Is mm-hmm. it appropriate? Is it, what's the messages we're going to get? What's the curriculum? Because all these are um, have a very um, high bar in the sense of the educational component that's going in there. Because in theory, they're an extension of what we would be doing. Right. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's really nice. There's a Again, they've always come up with new ideas and new programs that are going on. So what you see in one year is might not be some of the ones that you'll see the next year. Very cool. So if people either have, either if you haven't ever been to Rocky or you have and you're really interested in a topic. You want to go, go longer. check it out. Yeah. Because yeah. you can learn. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you can learn stuff on those things that I, you would never learn any other way, I don't think. Or at least not with the same intensity. Right. I still remember things from even guiding those and just being along very clearly just because like you said you're out in it actually seeing it it's not abstract it's not yeah i look at the uh field institute is for the people who are connoisseurs Uh they want to learn a little bit more yeah they want to get into a little bit deeper they want to so you know and i think that's that's something that we'd like to offer but we can't but it's wonderful that we can offer it through that partner so another thing that rmc is definitely involved with that People may see if they run into a crew and they're out there, but trail, trail work. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about that? Because that's a, that's a thing we've been trying to push on here is letting people know, like, the trail you're working on, someone worked their butt off to make it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard work, and it is really transformative work for people. So if you could talk about that, that'd be great. So one of the other programs here at the Conservancy is the Conservation Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, And we have six cores, several in the park, but also some in our neighboring national forests since, again, we we manage all of these areas collaboratively and the park and forest service work closely together. Um, And they are college age, so they're ages 18 to 24. Uh, And they do, it would be, you would be hard pressed to hike any trail in the park that they haven't Mm -hmm had a touch on at some point Mm. throughout the park's history. Mm -hmm. So the core is really pervasive. They do everything from trail maintenance, trail building, working on trail accessibility. Uh, Right now, there's some big projects coming up that are trail rehabilitation from trails that were damaged from the flood. Oh, right. And the students all do work. They get college credit, which is great for them. Uh, They do get paid again, so that they're they're working, and they get a whole realm of educational experiences. So they meet with all of the different divisions in the Park Service. They learn about public lands careers, both on the agency side of things and the mm-hmm. partner side of things. They learn a lot of basic life skills, like how to live with other people mm-hmm. in a dorm or in a campsite yeah. who are very different from you, who are from across the country, from very different socioeconomic backgrounds, yeah. and learn to really be part of a team and develop those personal skills, those group skills, and then actually do real work in the park. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they uh, rehabilitate historic structures. So it's mm-hmm. not always trails. Oh, okay. uh, put in bear boxes. There's been 
some increases in bear activities. So there's more bear boxes now in some of the day use areas. Yeah. They'll install those. Mm-hmm. Those are those lockers that people see if you're at a trailhead, some trailheads or campgrounds where you can yeah. put your food in there and lock it up. Yeah. So we, we have them here working in the summer. And then the park also has their own trail crew. So the mm-hmm. park always has a trail crew supervisor who's out with the students. Oh, okay. Leading that work nice. and making sure that everything's up to yeah. federal standards yeah. and sustainable mm-hmm. and Man. meets park regulations. But we also support park trail projects separate from our core mm-hmm. also. So yeah. f- for special projects, the uh, the alluvial fan project is one where the trail will be accessible. Mm-hmm. And then this year was the first year that we also had a high school a leadership right. core, which is almost like a conservation core light Mm-hmm. <laughs> for a younger audience. So it was shorter. It was two weeks. Uh, and they got a lot of the same skills, working on trails, removing invasive species. Uh, they were all actually kids from the Colorado area. Yeah. Um, exploring careers and backgrounds and educational experiences. Mm-hmm. And so that's a program that will continue next year also. Nice. And last year's program was entirely funded by the Rocky Mountain license plate, oh, special right. specialty license plate yeah, program. Yeah, people have seen those cool license plates around. Yeah, so for people who want to show <laughs> their affinity above and beyond every day on their vehicle, yeah. <laughs> 100% of the proceeds from the donations for those license plates goes back to programs like these, like the high school corps this year who directly impacted the park. And then nice. we obviously had a huge impact on those individual youth as well. Yeah, I was uh, at the uh, the annual picnic a few weeks back, and yeah, it was amazing because some some of them got up and spoke in front of the whole crowd there of of members who could attend to, you know, let members know what impact that this is having on on not just visitors but on everybody. And yeah, it was very clear that it has a huge impact on them, even even folks who were here for two weeks. It just like was a total game changer for a lot of them, I felt like. And, and it's and so I, amazing I, to have a program that yeah. can benefit visitors and park maintenance and the people involved in so many ways all at the same time. It's right. like, I love those types of yeah. huge win, yeah, win, 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 win. The whole conservation core, like Esty and you guys are talking about, it's not just about getting the trail done or mm. fixing a historic building. There's so many other things that are going on. Part mm. of it is to develop... Um, certain skills, job skills for those individuals, but just, I think you said it, life skills. Yeah. You know, working together as a team, working together for something bigger than yourself, a trail, a park, whatever it is. So I think, you know, the, the Conservation Corps, which is the college-age one, um, has been going around for a long time here. Yeah. The idea of doing something with the high school, I think is just fantastic. Whole another level of uh, involvement and a different type of involvement, but I really think it's it's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, if we're trying to be relevant to the youth out there, what a great way to give them an experience in a park for a summer to do that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really great. Good. We should uh, we should do a podcast episode with with them next summer. That'd, That'd be, be fun. good. Yeah. yeah, we did one with go. a class this summer from University of Kansas, and it it went. That was a great yeah, podcast because it was similar. Really you know, fun. people came out. And a lot of them, it was like they'd never camped before. They'd never been in a national park before. And it was just hearing in their own words how it had affected them was really, really cool, really powerful. And for folks who are interested, again, get on the website. Yeah. I mean, if you 
if you yourself are interested or if you know of someone mm-hmm. that might be interested you just in go that, in there and apply go in there and apply and you know jeff who is the director he he really tries to get it as diverse as a group as possible. So mm-hmm. they really are from all over the country mm-hmm. coming in here. So mm-hmm. it's not just like a Colorado-based. Yeah, last year we had students that ranged from local students coming from Grand Lake, one of our oh, wow. gateway communities, and then we had students coming from Puerto Rico. So, wow. I mean, when we say <laughs> okay. coming from across the U.S. and yeah, territories, and territories. Yeah. Yeah, right, 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 right. Exactly. we really do have a broad representation yeah. from the U.S. Oh, man. Yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, I remember my first summer when I worked at Yellowstone. I, I worked for Santerra making beds. But still, there were people there from all over that's the part world. Of, that's and part that's of the experience. Huge, yeah. yeah. And it was really, like, my roommate was from Singapore, and I just met tons of people yeah. from all over the world. So and just to in be the able last, to meet people from all across your own country is really cool. Just in the last two years, we've been doing the historic restoration work, mm-hmm. which is really fun, too, because, you know, trail work is great. But for some students, the idea of that you restore historic buildings in yeah. a national park is a new concept. Totally. And so I think it's really good because they're learning some carpentry skills, some restoration skills. Yeah. So it might connect to them somewhere yeah. down the road. You and know, for with folks their listening life. to this podcast, yeah. if you didn't listen to our previous podcast, you should because it's with Mary Johnston who has been here for three summers now doing historic structure survey. And she talks all about historic structures in the park, not just buildings, but also in some cases, rock walls and trail work and bog walks and talks about the importance of all of that. So that connection, that's, that's really, really cool. I like that. Um, on that topic of folks coming into the park, what about internships? There's some some other types of internships, right, that are done through RMC? Yeah, I've so we, have, we have a number of interns and fellows. Okay, interns uh, and fellows. So we have interns that many of them do the park education program. So actually, <laughs> I've chaperoned my daughter's field trip <laughs> last year at the end of last year uh-huh. when we moved here, and about half of the the staff giving the programs were RMC interns mm-hmm. who were working for the education program mm-hmm. as a way for them to gain experience, to give back to the park and yeah. work with youth and those sorts of things. So we have interns. Uh, and then we also have the Olson and Bailey fellows. So they do, they actually teach some of the youth programs in our education in the, in the field Institute. And then we also have, uh, research uh-huh. fellows also who do research in the park, uh, both closely with us and in the park and sort of blur those lines a little bit mm. sometimes of, again, these projects that are above and beyond the scope of what the park might have capacity yeah. to research at this point, but that everyone's still mutually agreed that these are important projects that we should fund. Yeah. Very cool. Um, just to add a little bit, like, so the internships mm-hmm. mostly are for the education and interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a greenhouse intern. Uh-huh. Um, so there's some folks that there. Are that are we haven't even talked that. about the greenhouse. That's so, a yeah. podcast we should do yeah, next year. Really? Yeah, really? Yeah, Rocky Mountain National Park has its own greenhouse yeah, it for is, those who don't It know. is amazing. So you know, an intern in there. there that, so we have an intern Yeah, it's there. an incredible place, like um, native you know, we, you know, most of it is in, in the education, but um, the idea of internships is to get that, you know, firsthand experience yeah. of them working in something that some of these folks think that they, the, the participants might think that that's their career path. Uh-huh. And so it's a good way for them to try oh, it yeah. out Absolutely. and see what's going on That's there. what I did. Um, right? <laughs> 
I had done music composition, and then I got an intern in National Park, and I was like, oh, wait a oh, second, I worked. like this too. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think the other thing too is because of the conservancy, you know, these are, um, they're a, a paid internship. It's mostly a, a reimbursement or a stipend mm-hmm. that is actually being offered for it. But um, through either the park or through the conservancy, there is no housing that is charged, so nice. many times we can actually house them. Yeah. Um, and they get enough to survive. Yep. You know, on yep. that I one. remember those days. But <laughs> hopefully the experience that they walked away, you know, is pretty amazing. Something yeah. that you wouldn't find in most places. Yeah. Yeah, and Rich, Rich's comment about the fact that they get paid, I think, is important. Because oftentimes people think of interns as unpaid interns. Yep. And... Some some students have the capacity to do that, but that really limits our totally. ability to recruit from a diverse sector yeah. of the United States. Right. And so paying students really levels the field because we're not asking who can self-fund their internships. Mm-hmm. We're, we're hiring people based yeah. off of their skills and abilities and yep. interests and That's what really they can point. offer to the park and not just that they're free. So mm-hmm. they really are earning a livable... Yeah. Yeah. Not, not a grand wage, but, <laughs> but you can get by. But I mean, they, they have a yeah. livable wage once housing yeah. is provided. Yeah, I remember that well because that was a big thing for me for sure. And a lot of people that I knew who were like SCA interns or different types of interns was if you know if you weren't going to get paid, you wouldn't have been able to do it. And like you, you need to at like least you, Miles, eat and have somewhere to live. <laughs> and like you, Miles. So some of these interns have gone on to working with the Park Service in green and gray uniform. Mm-hmm. Um, some have gone to other parks mm-hmm. based on their internship experience here. Mm-hmm. So we're very proud of the fact that the internship program here is really a, a stepping stone. It's a yeah. pathway yeah. for some of the folks that actually know more of that stuff yeah. that's going on. Cool. So how about we wrap up what we what RMC does with some of the larger, longer-term um, fundraising efforts and you know, land acquisition, well, not act, but those types of things. Talk about some of that. Yeah. So before I look to the future, I'll, <laughs> yes, I'll, the future I'll, will be next. I'll mention yeah. a few current immediate projects that I know many of the listeners may have been involved in the last few years. Yeah. So we, um, we're looking forward to last year, the Conservancy with a number of other partners purchased Cascade Cottages, which was the largest, largest commercial inholding in the park. Mm-hmm. And an inholding is land that land is still that's privately inside owned. of the park right. that was privately owned. Yep. In other words, was not public land. Yes. So Cascade Cottages was not available to the public unless mm-hmm. they were a paying guest because yep. it was a lodge. Yep. Uh, and it went on the market. I think it was the only. It's only the second time in a very long time, or ever. I think it was maybe the first time ever that it had come up. That it had gone up for sale, yeah. and so the key being that. The park and the conservancy and the community didn't want that developed into something else. So they sure. worked very closely with the family that had a very long legacy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so right now that property was transferred at the beginning of this year to the park. So that's nice. officially now public land and will be protected in the park in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking forward to working with the park over the next couple of years to do some public scoping and get some input on what happens ultimately with that facility mm-hmm. We're hoping on the conservancy side that that might be a place to do some place-based education programs for youth and or adults since there's not really that sort of facility dedicated in the park at this point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then many of our supporters also are familiar with what we called the Wild Basin property, which was another large in holding in the wild near the Wild Basin entrance to the park inside of the park. So we recently removed there was a private house on that that we removed because it was right. <laughs> it was a beautiful house, but it didn't fit in sure. with the sort of aesthetic and wilderness that whole area surrounding that is wilderness. And we hope to work with our members of Congress to get that transferred to the park at some point in the mm-hmm. next year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then looking forward, I'm pretty new in my position, so yeah, I can't. Yeah, how long have you been in your position? <laughs> I arrived here in April. Okay, yeah. So, so I don't just... quite have the crystal ball sure. as I get my feet underneath me sure. orienting here. But we've got a few uh, fun projects coming up on the publication side. We've just started working through some Spanish language kids publications, again, realizing awesome. that that's a item that just doesn't exist in the world, the children's books, or at least that we're aware of, yeah. <laughs> specifically about Rocky sure. and our demographics, even here in Estes Park and in Grand Lake, have shifted a lot over recent years. So making sure that our local kids even have access yeah. to information about the resources in the park mm-hmm. um, and just continuing to build our partnership with the park and build sustainable business practices, continue making sure that our mission is closely aligned with the park's highest priorities going forward. Yeah, Yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, so lots of different fun projects. We're going to start putting together a five-year plan in the next couple of months, looking at our our goals, some of those things even being looking at increasing our Made in the USA products Uh and making sure our products are printed on sustainable paper and Mm -hmm. some of those larger big picture uh, yeah. transitions that I think will help us to make sure that we're stable and can continue to yeah. be a good partner for the park for at least another 86 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one that I was thinking also is um, the Conservancy for many years have had this um, program called the Next Generation Fund mm-hmm. or program. And that has been so helpful for the educational programs in the park and the interpretive programs and even research in the park that goes on. Um, that is, you know, things have changed and mm-hmm. that program has worked really well, but the conservancy is looking at maybe rethinking that program or retooling it in some way to be a little broader in its approach. Yeah. And so I, I'm looking forward to that to figure out how can we, how can we get um, audiences involved with the conservancy, but also with the park, um, through that next generation fund. What mm-hmm. are the? Can we leverage other uh, funds that are out there and, and do some more work uh, with the next generation fund um, to actually um, connect with more of the youth? That's the focus on that one. Next generation being youth um, to actually connect with maybe more youth, mm-hmm. um, especially with the increasing population of Colorado. I mm-hmm. mean, there's always oh, yeah. a need to do that. Oh, yeah. So, so, so I'm excited about that part of it, too. Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be fun. Anything else you want to cover in that vein? Because if not, I'm going to go a little bit more big picture. Okay, I'm ready for big picture. I know you are. I'm ready. You're ready for big picture. Yes. Okay. So, Rich, before, he, how long have you been at Rocky? Um, this is my fifth summer. So this is four, your fifth summer. So four and a half years. And your position before here was? Um, I was a partnerships. <laughs> I was the partnerships training manager for the National Park Service. The entire National Park Service. Yes. Right? Yes. And SC, you mentioned that partnerships and then community outreach community. and all that kind of thing. Yeah, community engagement at the park level and then at the national level, partnerships. Yeah. So 
Yeah, perfect storm. There you go. <laughs> so both of you have uh, given a lot of time and effort and joy and pain and sweat and tears <laughs> and happiness and all sorts of things to community uh, outreach and to partnerships. We touched on at the beginning about why partnerships are important, but why so important to you? Why has that been something that you've really wanted to devote yourself to of all the things you could do in this kind of realm of work and environmental work and things like that? You really did go big, big <laughs> zoom out. We zoomed way out. Yeah. Don't get dizzy. Uh, my <laughs> <laughs> we like to do this at the end. Yes. I, I grew up, to make it personal, I mean, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, which is bookended by Saguaro National Park on either side. Yeah. And I'd never, maybe I went there on a field trip once as a kid. I'm not sure. Uh-huh. But I never went to the park until I started working for the park for what I thought was going to be a a season. Uh-huh. So a, a decade later, uh-huh. <laughs> it's been a very long season. <laughs> uh, I had never really had that experience with the park. And once that door was open to me, I just realized I wanted to make sure that other people had a sense of uh-huh. what was available for uh-huh. them at their doorstep. I think a lot of people take for granted parks that are in, you mentioned, Rich mentioned the growth of the Front Range community. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of kids even here in the Estes Valley that have never been into the park. Definitely. And so my experience with Saguaro once I started working there was also really understanding how key partnerships was, mm-hmm. whether it was everything from actual buses to get the kids into the parks to a sticker to give to the kids at an event, a book to read about. So just realizing mm-hmm. that the the park is great and they preserve this place in perpetuity, but in order to really push, and I think the park service really gets it increasingly to push the park outside of the park's boundaries, to push the park's influence outside of the park's boundaries. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot more people than the, those in the green and the gray and the badge mm-hmm. to connect with larger yeah. audiences. So that's yeah. why I'm passionate about mm-hmm. community engagement just because it's affected my right. So personal you, life. You had that experience and you're like, whoa, so wait, much. What? <laughs> yeah, I have I have a first grader who is knee deep in the national park world and uh-huh. junior ranger world. And oh, yeah. that's great and unique, but I think that every kid should have mm-hmm. that opportunity at their fingertips yeah. from birth. Yeah. Because that's what public lands are all about. I agree. So what was the question again? No. <laughs> So what is the meaning of life? So so my background in the park service has been in multiple parks, many national parks. Mm -hmm. And every one of them, I've gotten the opportunity um, to work with the partners, Mm -hmm. um, both partners within the park, but also partners outside the park. And, you know, I think if it comes back to sort of the the shared mission that we both, the Conservancy and and the Park Service has, and that, that mission or that vision is to actually preserve these landscapes for mm-hmm. these future generations. Mm-hmm. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is through partnering. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't do it by ourselves. The Park Service can't do it by ourselves. The Conservancy can't do it by itself. Um, we, have to, we have to be collaborative mm-hmm. on that. Um, and so you realize, I think for me, it was like halfway through my career going, oh, it's not about us. It's not about the Park Service taking care of it. It's about us 
uh, developing relationships and partnerships with others. Mm -hmm. So then we can actually preserve it for future generations. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it comes down Mm -hmm. to. So, so to me, it's kind of looking at it big picture and saying, how do we, how do we get the work done? And not just thinking that ourselves, it's overwhelming if we think we're going to do it by ourselves. (laughs) And yet it can be actually, not only, it's very doable if we partner with others, but it's also a lot more fun. It it really (laughs) is. I mean, you're different perspectives. The the partnership gives you ways to think about things that maybe you didn't think about that way before. Yeah. Nice. Before our final question, which we've asked everyone so far, uh, before we go to that, people want to get involved with Rocky Mountain Conservancy. How can they do that? Like, is there membership? Is there donation? Is there I could do a whole podcast just on that. We could. Um, <laughs> Maybe we will. We'll schedule it. Yeah, there's a whole spectrum of ways that you can get involved. I mean, it can be as simple as donating, mm-hmm. which is great and very generous of people. And that's what keeps us afloat mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. gives us funds to give back to the park for these specific projects. Um, and it's, it's again, it's making donations at what's appropriate for you. Oftentimes sure. people say, well, I'm not a billionaire. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Me either yet. Darn but it. a lot of people will spend $5 for a cup of coffee and that <laughs> yeah. can help us to put a kid to work on the trail uh-huh. for a day and uh-huh. those sorts of things that you just don't think about. So it's not that philanthropy is for billionaires. Philanthropy is for everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you can become a membership and that also gets you gets you some fun perks like a hat or a mm-hmm. stuffed animal. Um, but it also gets you this really insider view of the park. We've got newsletters and you get communications and special events and those sorts of things so mm-hmm. that you really feel connected. Uh, we have volunteers for the Conservancy, just like the the park has volunteers. And in fact, a lot of them go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have employment, everything from the interns and the fellows that I mentioned to the clerks that actually mm-hmm. operate the the stores in all of the different visitor centers throughout yeah. the park and throughout Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us that also do all the fun behind the scenes stuff mm-hmm. for the conservancy. <laughs> so really there's that full spectrum. You can, the holidays are coming up. You can do something as simple as go do your holiday shopping in the store, mm-hmm. yeah. buy some yeah fun products for your family that live here or far away. Those, yeah. So there really is just this full range of, I would say if you none of those things are feasible for you, then like us on social media, check out our Facebook and just keep an idea, do a field institute class and just keep an open mind about the ways that you can engage mm-hmm. depending on your financial resources, your free time, your interests and your areas of expertise because we would love to have more people join our family here at the Conservancy. Awesome. All right. Final question. We'll let Rich go first. Uh Uh, You don't don't have to give an amazing answer. You just give whatever answer comes to your mind. So you've been here about five years. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is very broad, so you can take it however you want. What does Rocky mean to you? Mm -hmm. What is Rocky, what what has it meant to you in your... uh, in your, in your life, in your career, anything like that? So I think it's my first impression of this place when I got here. Mm-hmm. And that is, I thought of um, exploration. Mm. Um, I thought this is a place where I can explore. 
I can get lost. I can go find find places that I've never seen before, but hopefully find something of myself that I've never felt before. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it was exploration. It's really um, it's a place where um, it's amazing how close you are to some of the areas that you can get to pretty uh, pretty easy. The yeah. access is yeah, pretty easy. Yeah, that's a good point. But on the other hand, you know, just uh, uh, an hour hiking away from it, you can get into some pretty amazing places. That, yes. Um, exploration and, you know, of course, for me, inspiration mm-hmm. on that one. So, yeah, that's what it means to me. Nesty, in your, your few months here. Yeah, ask me. Maybe ask me this question after I've had a whole winter here, and I may have oh, a different answer. Oh, that's a good answer. point. We will. Yeah, we'll ask you. We'll ask you again next summer and see what you think about the winter. Yeah. <laughs> what is Rocky? I mean, we've talked a lot about you know how can you give to the park and how can you give to the conservancy, but also, I mean, selfishly, the park has a lot to give me and my family and my community. So, like Rich mentioned, it's about exploring it and having this beautiful view shed and clean mountain air mm. and places mm. where you know I can take my kid on a little hike after dinner mm-hmm. and be in a national park in a beautiful mm. meadow five minutes from my door is just yeah this, that's pretty crazy <laughs> kind of this unbelievable experience <laughs> yeah. of yeah. constantly oh my gosh we we live here and with that comes some some challenges with the bear ate my bird feeder last week. I learned my lesson. <laughs> sort of, there are these challenges, yeah, but it's just, a, for me, I guess it's just about constant growth, uh-huh. about learning. And this is an ecosystem that I'm not entirely comfortable in yet yeah. because I don't know it and I don't know what I can eat and what might eat me. Yeah. And I'm sort of learning that. So it's just about this growth and expanding my boundaries and my family and having this just be my new home has been really yeah. just this fun, exciting experience and taking it all in. That's great. Well, it'll continue to be exciting over the winter for sure. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys so much for sitting down to talk with us. I'm sure all of our listeners will find this super interesting. Um, until next time, we'll meet up again in the future, I'm sure. We'll do some future podcast episodes. Thanks, Miles. Yeah, and thanks, thank everyone, you. for listening. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Miles. Sure. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Our next episode will be released on Friday, October 20th. For show notes, transcriptions, and to learn more about our show, visit our homepage at go.nps.gov forward slash rmnpod. That's go.nps.gov forward slash rmnpod. The Rocky Mountain National Podcast is a product of Rocky Mountain National Park, one of 417 units of the National Park Service that preserve America's heritage for all, forever. Stay classy, Rocky Rangers.